Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. In this episode, Russ White, Vincent Cilindro, and Ed McNair dig into the value of network operators groups. How are you today? I am doing well, sir. Doing well. Sounding good on your blue Yeti. Thank you. <laughs> and Vincent, I want to ask you what kind of mic you're on. Ah, <laughs> uh, do I need to switch over? <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all perfectly fine. So we're going to talk about a topic that's really odd right now because we're recording this just after the day of the cancellation of the in-person IETF meeting because of the killer virus that is consuming the entire world. But <laughs> we'll talk about it anyway, which is the importance of getting involved in and attending and being in the NOG in the network operators group community. And I think probably it's important to start out and say that we're not just talking about big NOGs like NANOG or Apricot or right or whatever it is we've talking about little ones like chinog now a couple of weeks ago we had jason gooley on talking about the origins of chinog um or shinog or i don't know how you say it Shytown. <laughs> so shinog shinog well yeah we'll have to figure out how to say it so we don't necessarily want to just talk about big nogs but even little nogs so if ed or vincent either one of you somebody came to you and said i want to go to nanog and i need to convince my boss so what's your argument? Like, what, what do you, what, what kind of things do you say? I'll let you go first, Vincent, and then I'll follow in behind you. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> well, the first thing that I would uh, talk about would be relative to, from a net engineering perspective, having been in the net engineering field and trying to call it gain knowledge, the, the quickest way, at least for me, is just to be absorbed by the community and just talking to people in the hallways. And that's, to me, is what one of the fundamental things about attending a NUG is just being able to be surrounded by like-minded people uh, in that industry and just absorbing the knowledge from everyone else. So not being the smartest person in the room, which, by the way, I think is the biggest thing you can do to grow your career as a network engineer. Honestly, that, that is the biggest challenge that I, I, I've managed a couple engineers in the first, the, there's two things being recognizing that they don't have to be the smartest person and admitting that they don't know everything and asking for help. Those are the things that make that bridge. And once they cross it, I think, you know, like you said, uh, that's what they need to learn. So, so being in the presence of people that you know are much smarter than you. Uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons I love going to the IETF and to NOGS is because I think that um, people think I'm a smart person for whatever reason, but the reality is I go to these places and these people are 10 times smarter than I am. And I actually love that. I, I think that's awesome. But I think um, it's more than just someone being 10 times smarter than you. You can't know everything. And you right. can be an expert in a particular aspect of anything. But to have that holistic understanding, it's impossible. Um, and so being around other people who are gifted in maybe ways that you are to understand things in a way that you don't. Um, I used to teach. And one of the things I learned from my students was that they would sometimes ask me questions, which would make me reevaluate the way I looked at something that I knew really well. 
And so they made me take something I knew, turn it on its ear and say, well, if you can do it this way, well, then can't you do it this way as well? And so it's just that kind of exposure, I think, gives you a, a more broader understanding of anything that you um, have expertise in. Maybe even smarter is not always the right word. Maybe wiser, more experienced. I've been there. I've done that. I haven't been there and done that. Like, I've never built an IX from the ground up. It's awesome to talk to somebody who's done that and and understand. Going on uh, what Edward had mentioned, I I would also take the opposite because sometimes Mm -hmm. engineers are built in their ways, right? They're set in their ways. And having that fresh set of eyes from someone who has, I hate to use the word jaded, but we know what we mean. Why can't I do it this way? And sometimes just because we've always been doing it that way isn't the right way and times have changed. So it's always interesting to talk to uh, some of the newcomers that come to these NOGs and they they have a fresh set of eyes and you kind of question, yeah, maybe I can do it this way now. And, I, and what, the other thing which I find it's interesting, um, there are other career paths where there, there are required CE courses that you need to go through. And if you look at the field of technology, um, everything is changing rapidly. Uh, the human body is not changing. It is what it has been for decades. We're getting a deeper understanding of it. But networks are continually evolved. There's new principles. There's new technologies going on. And if, if, you know, if you're an attorney or if you're a doctor, um, even an educator, they're required to have a certain degree of CE training. So do architects. Uh, why not for network engineers and network operators and professionals? Everything is constantly changing around them. Some certifications try to fix that, right? By, mm-hmm. by requiring recertification. I'm not really sure I buy that that's always the best, best path forward, the best solution to that problem. Um, but on the other side of that, there's another interesting thing, which is RFC 1925 Rule 11, which is that everything that's ever been invented will be invented again with a new name. And one of the cool things about going to a NOG and meeting people who have a lot more experience than you is that you figure out that even though they're old and crusty sometimes and they're cranky, they actually have seen ATM three times in their career. <laughs> Just different acronyms. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it gives you a perspective that maybe this mad rush to this new technology shouldn't be such a mad rush. Maybe we can get off the hype cycle a little bit, back up and think about what we're actually trying to get done. Uh, and solve problems rather than just following the vendor PowerPoint or slideshow or whatever it happens to be. Uh, so I think all those things are are really, really important. And and so any other arguments that you come up with besides just getting in a room with people who are smarter than you? One I, I always think of is just getting to know other people, not necessarily smarter than you or not as smart as you, but just having the lateral contacts in the industry and just meeting people face to face and being in a position where people know who you are and you know who people are and not just for job hunting, right? Just in general, if you need to pick up the phone and call somebody. The community aspect of NANOG is I think it's most valuable commodity as it were. Um, Those bonds that people make, the connections, um, there's just, there's no other place where you can get that kind of connection uh, if you're not at a a NOG meeting like that. So Vincent, did you, (laughs) you almost stepped in there and I was... Oh, I'm sorry, Vincent. Oh, no, no. I I think... At least the the theme for me is really about connecting with people and having somewhat of a belonging, right? As humans, we just kind of want to feel like we belong. And I think that 
common aspect of, we'll call it technology and specifically networking, and this venue or vehicle to have that for for us, right? Like you said, with educators, there's the educational kind of conferences, same thing with any of the industries. And this is just something else that I think is just natural, right? It's just like a, a conference for any profession. To me, it's really about getting to meet people and making those relationships is the biggest thing. Because we can all make the relationships virtually, right? But there's someone, uh, and I'm going to miss this quote, but it's when you see someone in the eye, and you look them face to face, it totally changes the dynamics versus trying to, versus just conversing over email or over the phone. I think that, you know, that is something that when I've talked to employers in the past, as I've moved from job to job, one of the things that has actually been a quasi-effective argument is that people, like with the ITF in particular, people will say, well, you don't have any current drafts. Why do you need to go? You're not going to present anything. And my counter argument is I'm either a part of the community or I'm not. It's not a place where you go just to present drafts. You go because you're a part of the community. And I think Nanog's the same way. You don't just go because you're presenting. You don't just go because you have to meet somebody specific. You go because you're a part of the community. And being a part of the community long-term builds trust and relationships in those, in the, or trust in those relationships that people know that you're around and they know who you are. And over time, you become a part of that community. Um, you know, I don't think I'm as much of the nan- part of the Nanog community as I am the IETF community, just because I don't generally go to Nanog as often. But I find that these types of communities, particularly in the network engineering world, are very, very important. You have these lateral connections. You have the ability to ask people things. Let's talk a little bit maybe about the more official or formal parts of Nanog that might be interesting. First of all, there's peering stuff. So what is that about? Like people come there and just do peering, talk to each other about peering, right? Specifically, the peering forum. I'm assuming. Yeah, the peering forum. Yeah, the peering forums. Those types of things. Yeah, it's an avenue for people. Again, we could always do peering as far as an agreement. I send you a note, say, "Hey, let's peer. I got this. You have that." But again, those dynamics kind of change when you are talking face to face and actually seeing someone eye to eye. But that forum actually, again, gives you that um, ability to set up peering arrangements face to face. Okay. It also creates a venue where you have a lot of people coming into a singular space with that same objective, and that is peering. So it's, it's a much more conducive place to make it happen. It's easier to have it occur in that space uh, within our, our peering forum. Okay, cool. So, right. So, again, it's kind of, I mean, it's an, it's an IX for in-person. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like peering speed dating is what it really comes yeah, down to. Yeah, peering speed dating. <laughs> I like that better. Yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, and I think sometimes when you're negotiating a peering contract or something, it's best just to have the two technology, technical people just sit there and hammer it out and say, you know, this is what I'm going to send you, this is what you're going to send me, and then you can go make it legal later and figure out who's going to do what with BGP and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, another part of it is, of course, the tutorials and presentations, right? So those are really, really important um, in the whole NOG experience is just having experienced people come in and speak about um, those types of things, whatever's, whatever's going on, right? Yes. 
I mean, that's the, we'll call it the educational portions of the ANOG, as Edward kind of had mentioned, like continuing education. And part of that is uh, related to what you had mentioned, right? Sometimes you're not going there because you're presenting, but you're going there to, to learn things. And sometimes it's stuff that's not your daily, um, it's not what you do for your day job, but it is super interesting just because it's current technology. Maybe it's something that you're not going to ever implement, but now that you kind of know about it, you at least have some something to say about it, right? I mean, we were we had a conversation about their uh, 400 gigs, right? How many people are? I'll, I'll take it back. There are going to be people deploying 400 gigs, but for the majority, uh, is that reality in the next one to two years? But it is super interesting to be able to understand it. Yeah. yeah. yeah in fact, I would I would push this a little bit harder myself in that. I know people who say, well, I know OSPF, so I don't need to learn ISIS because I already know link state. And see, I so totally disagree with that perspective because I think the more you understand individual protocols, even though they basically work the same, they do flood differently. There's difference in partials, things like that. You still understand more about the technology basics and you understand a broader range of things. So maybe learning 400 gig is important for your business right now. It may not ever be, but it might teach you something about optics that you didn't know before or something about Ethernet operation that you didn't know before that's going to help you understand the Ethernet you're using right now, right? So I think those play into it as well. Yeah, just being exposed to those and then being able to grasp it maybe multiple years later I think is beneficial. I remember taking a uh, um, signals class in college, right? QAM signaling. And it was 20 years later until I saw the optical signaling said, hey, I, I think I've seen that before. Now I understand this. Yeah. yeah. I think there's another dimension to it as well that I think Vincent's a little bit too modest to uh, talk about. And if you haven't been to a Nanog meeting in uh, several years, um, the type of uh, quality of speakers that they're attracting, the work that the program committee is putting into bringing to the best of the best in front of the Nana uh, audience is just absolutely amazing. They're doing a bang up job of just really having top notch quality speakers. Thanks, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward silence. No. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. You know, I've. I've I've been exposed to Nanog from um, providing services in my previous job and also what I do now as executive director. And um, I've experienced, you know, in, in being an executive director, being up on that stage. And on Wednesdays, our audience gets kind of thin. But in the last few meetings, we've had a strong crowd sticking out through the entire event. And that's just a tribute to how great the programming is right now. Yeah. So, so it's valuable from just getting the tutorials and presentations, even if it doesn't necessarily hit your current job. So that's an argument you can make to your boss and say, I'm going to go learn something new about networking. Um, and, you know, it, and it's going to be vendor neutral. And I think that's a key point as well, is that if I go to a vendor conference, there's nothing wrong with vendor conferences. But if I'm going to a vendor conference, I'm going to get the vendor story. Whereas if I go to Nanog, I'm going to get something completely different. That is 100% accurate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's intentional on the part of NANA program committee, right? That it's, that it's not a vendor-specific thing. It's just technology that we're talking about here. 
Yes, I mean, we, we definitely try to concentrate on that. I mean, this is kind of one of those things, though, that a technology may be specific and it still may be valuable, but it's, it's not a commercial, right? It, that's, right? That's what we gain. To, it's not supposed to be a vendor pitch or anything like that. It's purely around that technology. Yeah. And the program committee does a marvelous job of going through and um, managing that, uh, making sure that the content is not a big sales pitch, making sure that it's relevant. Um, and every uh, time we get submissions, there are those that we, um, they discard because they don't meet the, the criteria. So again, they do a really good job of that. So I think this is common across all of the NOGs that I've been involved with. I just spoke at Apricot. I try to speak at Shinog or Shinog or whatever it is every year. I spoke at LACNOG for several years. I haven't in a couple of years because... And you haven't since submitted a presentation to NANOG? Shame on you. Wow. <laughs> See, our feelings are hurt right now. They're just, they're just hurt. I've already asked Russ about uh, Boston, so... Uh... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, actually, uh, I'm talking to somebody about doing a tutorial in Boston. I haven't totally decided. I got to look at my calendar again. But yeah, so LACNOG I did for several years. There was a year, a couple of years back when um, there, were, there were planned transportation strikes in the city that LACNOG was being held in. And my wife basically said, no, you're not going. <laughs> She's like, you know, you don't know Spanish. You're going to get trapped in some Spanish city, speaking city, and they have a transportation strike and you're not going to be able to get home. Like, that's not a good combination. No. So, so I ended up dumping out of it, which was very sad. It irritated me, but it was just the situation was what it was. Um, so... Talk to me about community stuff, BCPs. I know that Nanog does beyond just like the presentations and the conference. These Nogs also, like RIPE also has all of these BCPs that they do as well. Um, so interaction with Aaron and things like that that are really important for the community. Go ahead, Vincent. Oh, I was, was going to say, you have more of the connection with how Aaron kind of bleeds in. Uh, okay, then I will, I will take it from here. <laughs> um, Nanog is, is very much a part of the greater community. And we do try to interact and to create synergy between the various groups. Um, Aaron and I, have, sorry, Aaron and Nanog, forgive me, um, have the strongest kind of relationship. Um, very similar, if you look at RIPE, RIPE is kind of a fusion of Aaron and, and Nanog together. So uh, Nanog and Aaron have a very strong working relationship. Um, we believe that we have services that complement one another. So we have a, a very strong uh, relationship. We try to support them and, and vice versa. Um, I was involved in the IETF community and I've been trying to kind of work as uh, maybe a covert evangelist, trying to get more interaction between both IETF um, and Nanog. I've gone to IETF meetings and I've encouraged um, for them to get involved in the Nanog community and I try to do so vice versa. I think we're strongest when these groups all interact um, as opposed to kind of being isolated from one another. Um, I've also um, reached out and work with ISOC whenever I can as well. Uh, so um, my role as executive director, I see myself more as kind of a, uh, a Nanog evangelist 
Uh, so in addition to doing my day-to-day responsibilities, I try to reach out to the various organizations and find out where we can have synergy together and make all of our organizations stronger. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the good stuff that comes out of that. So again, I'm talking to my manager and he says, or she says, hey, you know, why are you going to this Nanog thing? And I can give them these reasons of I'm going to meet people. Those are kind of selfish. But I can also say on the other side, I'm going to actually help the community by going to Nanog because Nanog does, you know, these Nogs do X or Y or Z. What, what would be the X or Y or Z that we could say in those, in those places? I think recently we've had actually a few uh, sessions, talks about connecting indigenous people. Yes. And that in itself, just going, it's multifaceted, right? Because having, we'll call it living where we live, we don't usually get to expose to some of these technical challenges, dealing with um, satellites and, and whatnot for just connectivity. But then looking back at the story of why they need this connectivity and how it came about, being able to possibly offer services or expertise to be able to help connect people, I think is that mechanism, um, community mechanism. Right. Well, and there's manners as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Manners is, manners is a community effort, uh, to help improve routing security. Um, and then I'm, I'm certain there are others, right, that, that Man, uh, Nanog is involved in here and there to just help the community at large. Um, and, you know, so I think being able to say those things to your manager is really important as well. By the way, I have a, I have a network that I worked on. I think the most challenging, one of the most challenging networks I've ever worked on is actually Greenland. Because uh, mm-hmm. that's one of those situations where there are 20, 30 villages uh, or so up, up a single coast, yeah. and there's literally no roads. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. We have those same conditions right in, in the United States. I mean, there's this thought that um, to the rest of the world that everyone's connected here in this country. Everyone has fast access to the internet. And once you leave major mar- mar- metropolitan areas, connectivity quality starts to drop off rapidly. And so, and you get into some very rural and remote areas in the United States, and it's, it's like a third world country. Um, and I think that... Uh, Access to the internet and good quality access is in, in a modern society, it's critical. And um, I really strongly believe that we've got to make sure that everyone has, is connected, everyone has access. Um, because the, the odd thing is those people who live in the most remote areas, they need connectivity almost more than if you do living in a city. I mean, I can always step down to a local Starbucks and get connectivity if I don't have it. But if you're out in a very rural part in certain, you know, um, Native American lands, um, they barely have electricity, let alone Internet access. And the services that they need to get to are miles and miles away from them. And if they have Internet connectivity, those, those services which they can't get are easy to reach via the Internet. Yeah. Yep. So another, another interesting thing that I think the NOGs do a lot of is they get involved in building and helping particularly nonprofit IXs, right? Which helps build community. And I know ISOC does a lot of, a lot of that as well, but I think that some of the NOGs at least do a lot of work in that area. 
Well, I think I think one of the biggest things that Nanog has to offer in that area is just the wealth of content that we have. Um, Nanog has an archive of videos and talks that stretch back um, over a decade. And these things are available, um, freely available. Um, and it's one of our, I think, our big contributions to the community as a whole, that this content that we have sitting on YouTube is just free for people to look at. Yeah. Yeah, that's that I think is is a really important part. And again, uh, you know, even if you're not an expert, the best way that you that I found to learn something is to go teach it. And for me, that makes me dig in and really understand it in a way that I didn't understand it before, and be able to be ready to answer questions coming from the audience and and just interact with people. And like you said before, Edward, you know. I'm interacting with students. If I teach something, I'm interacting with students. They ask me questions that are completely off in the blue. I had no idea that question even existed. And that makes me go learn it even better. So these things like Nanog, um, and we'll talk about the, the Nanog on the road in a second here, because I think that's an important concept that's going on right now with the Nogs, is that it gives you as an engineer the ability to teach. Even if it's something that's very basic, that you may feel is way below your level of intelligence or knowledge, just standing in front of people and teaching is so important. Uh, and just that skill set, developing that skill set is so absolutely important. Well, so, something that I would like to bring up, Russ, uh, relating to skill set, one of the things that we've been trying to do at Nanog is outside of the technical um, education, is more, uh, we'll call it skill based right? Uh, We've been looking at professional development as we progress in our careers, as well as people coming into the field, how to give a PowerPoint presentation, how to whiteboard public speaking that not everyone is used to, which I think is a critical skill. These are the other things that are not necessarily technically related, but again, career development that we are starting to uh, branch out into. Yeah. How to start a podcast. Oh, (laughs) do I hear a talk coming on? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Russ, you mentioned earlier, you were asking the question, it was kind of a threat to this conversation. So what is the argument that you make to your boss, why you should go to a Nanoc meeting? And I think one of the kind of really critical reasons to go is almost a, a covert reason, almost your, your ability to be a spy, to go in and to see what other people are doing in their networks. Are they doing something that we're not doing? Is there something I can learn from them then bring back to my organization to make our presence stronger? I mean, I think that is, you know, a really critical thing because when you're at your job, you only know, for example, if you work, if you work for Verizon, you only know the Verizon way of doing things um, or you only know the Comcast way of doing things. Getting a chance to talk to other network engineers, seeing what they're doing, hearing talks. Oftentimes we get speakers up that talk about their networks and what they're doing and the challenges they're, challenges they're facing. I think this is something they can bring back that immediately creates a return on investment because the, the expanded understanding of not just networking, but how other organizations are applying these techniques. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So Vincent, you're anything on that one? The one thing that I was going to say was <clears throat> not necessarily, well, so having worked at vendors, right? It's interesting to me because people always think, hey, you know, you're going to go in there, you're going to take the secrets, right? You guys are sharing things. But to me, it was always the, hey, you know, you got three network engineers, one's wearing a blue, one's wearing a gray, one's wearing, we'll call it red shirt. But 
even though they work for different organizations, it's that commonality of just look at learning the technology. That to me was always the cool thing, right? It's, hey, I understand we're working as competitors, but we're getting along, right? For the, for the greater good, we'll say. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah, and I think as a vendor, when you go to these things, one of the important points is, is that it teaches you or shows you that nobody's building a single vendor network. And so you're learning about what other vendors are doing and how you can interact with those other products and those other technologies and how operators are actually using the technologies that you're developing. Uh, so even if you're a vendor, I think that's really important to get into and to understand a lot more of. Now, one thing people are going to say when they listen to this is they're going to say, yeah, but I don't work for a provider right? I can't go to my manager and say, oh, I work for Verizon or AT&T or Orange or, or whoever it is. Um, so what's my justification? I work for, I don't know, whoever else, some retailer or some bank. So would you say that Nanog is really just for providers or Nogs in general are just for providers? Or there maybe should be a separation between enterprise Nogs, I don't like that term, by the way, and provider Nogs? <laughs> it's always come about, right? Because people have historically thought that we'll call it the networks are different. And if we, if we narrow it down, right, 90, 95%, the networks are pretty much the same. It's how you utilize them. And for me, it's always been, so like I've always looked at the service provider and said, Hey, you know, they're doing it in a certain manner and why are they doing it in that regards? And I've always taken a lot of that and put them into enterprise networks because there's a reason why they built things the way that they have built. And if we also look at it, there's a lot of cloud provider things that we've learned and we've been taking them into these other various networks. So just like the common thing that we've talked about, even though it may not be my day thing, learning about them and understanding them, I might be able to apply that to other scenarios and take the good out of all of them, right? So while it may have some specifics, there's a lot of bleed over, right? And it, I think it is up to the individual to be able to take those nuggets that they gain and then bring it back uh, home. Yeah, yeah. So any thoughts on that, Ed? Or do you think it's... I, I, I would use a very kind of maybe an odd um, analogy and that is I would use architecture. Um, there is commercial architecture, there's residential architecture. And I think that they each can learn certain things from each other. Um, even though there are there are differences, there are certain principles that are, uh, you know, that are universal, and I think that there's always an opportunity to learn. Um, I, uh, we had a speaker once talking about odd network, and it was one of our most popular talks. A guy came up and he talked about the Oregon County Fair, and um, or sorry, Oregon Country Fair, and how they build out that network. Um, People were, there was a long line at the mics just trying to ask questions about what they had done. So you never know what you can learn from and what nuggets you can find. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I have the same, like, I, I hear people say all the time, well, your network is not Google's network, so you can't learn anything from Google or you can't use Google tech, use the technology that Google does. And I, I kind of cringe at that because to me, a network is a network. And just like you said, commercial versus uh, residential building. Well, I mean, I know of a couple of commercial builders that still build houses 
mm-hmm. because they're trying to keep up with the house building technology because sometimes things come in the house building world that don't come to commercial world that you can take advantage of um, or the other way around. Yeah. So I, I think that's a bit of a of a thing that we do in our industry, this kind of artificial separation that we probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. At our last Nanog meeting in San Francisco, um, one of the keynote speakers was from Google and talking about one of the large outages that they had and problems that had taken place. And I heard people saying repeatedly how much they appreciated it, even though maybe their networks are smaller, even though maybe their structure is different. It was understanding, yeah, they go through this too, and then how they dealt with it and how they got past it. So I think you can always learn. Yeah, learn from from whoever else it is that's another operator. Yeah. And I think maybe there's not enough of that either troubleshooting that goes on, like describing how you troubleshoot something is a really important thing. Yeah, I really admired that Google took that course. Usually they're pretty quiet about those kind of things. But I think that opening up the kimono and just kind of uh, sharing a little bit was good for the industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So Vincent, you had something to kick in there, I think. Mm, No, sorry. (laughs) That's fine. That's good. All right. So let's move on to a little bit slightly. It's the same, but what about like people who can't come all the time? Is there a way for them to participate in Nanog, a useful way beyond just showing up at the meetings all the time? Um, like how often would you say somebody needs to come to a Nog or is there other ways they can do things? Well, each meeting is different and the speakers are different and the content is different. So um, I think that whether you come occasionally or you come often, I think there's a lot to be gained. And we've only been talking about kind of the educational aspects, which it extends beyond um, that. Um, But as I mentioned before, we have our our videos that are online that are always after our meeting, those videos go up and people can um, uh, gain from those. Uh, we do stream our, uh, our event live. And so there's also people can take advantage of the, the webcast, but I think that, um, there's always something that you can find always something. I, in fact, I know people who are there at our, because of the other aspects of Nanox, such as, uh, face-to-face meetings with vendors, face-to-face meetings with other customers. Oftentimes they don't actually get to see, the event in real time, even though they are at the Nanog meeting. And then afterwards they go back and they look at the videos on YouTube to catch up on the talks that they missed. Which by the way is what I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, because it's, it's so valuable to be around the other people and it's great to sit in the presentation, but quite often it's more important to me or not more important to me, but I'll be sitting around and I'll be, I'm going to this meeting and I'll meet somebody that I really want to talk to. And I end up standing in the hall for 15, 20 minutes. And then the presentation's half over and I'm thinking, well, okay, I'll find something else to do now because <laughs> you don't want to watch it halfway through. Right. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Just watch it online at that point. I'll add a couple of pieces to that. So outside of the meetings, there's always, at least with Nanog, there's a mailing list so that we can have conversations about maybe the presentation or given topics in between meetings. There may be a, an outage or something odd that has happened across the networks, right? And people converse that way, or even, hey, have you seen this? And what's actually going on? So kind of 
network to network troubleshooting right over over these venues uh, I'll even bring it out to you know Shinog has a slack channel right so again localized issues that maybe we come uh, come across I think recently someone asked hey, was there a fiber cut? And someone jumped in and said, yeah. So that explains a couple things, right? And again, it's just that to, your, to what you were kind of alluding to as well is having these contacts goes a long way uh, to be able to say, have you seen this? And what do you think about it? Right. I think that's, that's so critical important. That's cr- so critically important to just the average network engineer to be able to say, oh, my upstream is down. I can sit and troubleshoot it. Or I can go on the Nanog mailing list or the the Slack or whatever it is and say, does anybody know of an outage before I spend an hour or two troubleshooting and going out to the route views or whatever it is and thinking through what's going on, then it may be that somebody else knows what's going on and I don't have to spend my time doing it. Exactly. So I think those are, I think those are pretty good arguments actually. So, right, we talk about tutorials we talk about we talk about just the social aspect of the side meetings the presentations uh, standing up at the mic meeting people having that experience the ability to present nanog on the road let's talk about this idea of splitting out and having more events that are more local so i know shinog or Shinog, or however you say it, is in there as well. And people are coming up with regional Nogs. But are you seeing more of a movement to more regional type situations? Or is it still a big meeting once a year or twice a year? Uh, right now, and, and I will be kind of, I'll be very honest about that. We're kind of expanding our whole kind of Nanog on the road concept. It's kind of evolved into Nanog outreach and Nanog Outreach has several aspects to it. Um, one part is professional development that um, Vincent had mentioned earlier, and uh, we've kind of rebranding that um, in terms of uh, Nanog Connect. Um, there's also, uh, we have a new program called Nanog U or Nanog University, and we're trying to engage and inspire the next generation of network professionals. And in that piece, we're going out into universities and presenting Nanog content to them that's tailored toward that specific audience. We had our first Nanog University tour this past fall, and uh, we went to Purdue, we went to Urbana-Champaign, and we also went to Ball State. And we brought a day of content that was tailored towards students. Um, over the course of that three-day period, we had about 100, 185 students who got to participate in the program, which was, was a lot of fun for our, the presenters and even students as a whole. Um, we're also trying to work with underserved uh, regions throughout North America and to see ways that we can contribute and support their efforts to build out networks. Um, and then in terms of what the traditional, what you would call Nanog on the road, uh, we're very open and interested in engaging. Uh, what we tend to look for is a local shepherd in an area who can assemble an audience for us. And then we can kind of bring a group of speakers and presenters to their community and to kind of give them hands-on or um, uh, information in areas that they really can't get on a a typical basis. So um, outreach is a, a big part of what we're trying to do as an organization. Yeah, so more opportunities for engineers who are involved in this to actually mm-hmm. go out and teach. Absolutely. Which, which is yet another thing we were talking about, a reason to get involved in these things. Well, it's a way of giving back to your community. 
Um, if you are a network engineer and in your community, maybe you are fortunate enough to be able to go to Nanog meetings and others aren't. And if you can encourage um, and assemble a group of people to, uh, to that were willing to have host Nanog out there, we'd be happy to attend. In fact, um, some of the people in our community, uh, you know, uh, had us go to Montgomery. And it was an incredible time to sit and present and, and share with their community. So, yes, we're very interested in any ways that we can support efforts with throughout North America. Awesome. So, did you have anything to add there, event? I heard you cut in a couple of times, so I didn't know if you... Yeah, so I, I was going to say that um, along with the efforts that uh, Nanog is trying to do to help uh, reach out, I think some of this is also have grown organically, just like how networks have, right? They, they've come out of, I don't want to say necessarily out of necessity, but there's been like-minded people. And I think some of it just really does become regionalized, right? So there's been like LV Nog and most of the people that are attending there are around the, the gaming community. Um, Boss Nog, right? We know the kind of things that came out of that area, Chicago, kind of similar thing. So I think there is kind of that local, we'll call it flair. And again, that comes back to that sense of community. But I do like what we are doing at Nanog and being able to enable this because it's not it's not easy to be able to hold these nogs, right? There is a time commitment uh, involved as well. I know that we've talked about trying to do things. So um I like what we're trying to do to be able to, we'll call it plant these seeds in other areas. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up for this, this recording. Again, going back just to review for people who are listening, uh, you know, the importance of doing these things and some of the reasons you can give to your manager. I mean, I heard that Vince, Vincent and Edward would personally write your manager a letter. <laughs> if you send them an email and ask nicely. Yeah. Dear mommy, can Vincent come to the Nanog meeting? <laughs> that would be quite entertaining. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Uh, now, Vincent, where do you blog or Twitter, tweet or whatever else, LinkedIn or anything? I uh, I am not usually on social media, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, well, it's not unfortunate. I'm just asking. And Edward, where can people follow you if they want to and um, or I, follow Nanog? Um, they can follow Nanog. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly what the – if you go to our website, you'll see all of that. We have um, a, a woman working for us named Brandy who's really um, engaged in social media completely for, for, for Nanog. Um, and she does a great job. And I also want to give a shout out to the to Nanog staff. Uh, they do an incredible job. Uh, Day, Sean, um, uh, Lee, uh, Valerie, Claudia. Uh, we have a great group of people that put on those meetings and make everything happen. So I feel very, very fortunate with the team that we, we have. And also so to a, the program committee. What's that? There's a Twitter handle, right, for Nanog? And yeah, there is the a Nanog. Twitter there's a Twitter handle for Nanog, and um, I I don't know what it is, and I forgive me. I'm, I'm no, very it's fine. About That's that. fine. But people can search for it. And then yeah. there's also, I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn personally. If people want to keep, up we are Nanog on Twitter. We are Nanog. Okay, Nanog. Yeah. And Edward, you you have a Twitter handle. I'm assuming. Yes, I do. E McNair. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn. I assume if people. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn it. as well. All right. Awesome. Great.
Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.